0: It's how we teach our clients to get executive decision makers to buy without being salesy or spammy. Here's our host, the co-founder and CEO of Centricity, Jay Kingley.
1: I am really pleased today to welcome Brad Schlachter. Brad is a fractional CMO based out on the West Coast in Los Angeles. Uh, Brad focuses on working with CEOs and founders of small to mid-market businesses with a particular focus on entertainment, and technology-based business. Welcome, Brad. Let's get started. I wanna ask you the tough question right off the bat. You work with uh, lots of companies in the industries that we talked about. What do you see as the big issue that they are struggling to get right?
2: Yeah, I, I see, you know, one thing I see consistently across a lot of my clients is that there is this focus on vanity metrics and, you know, people are looking for content or ad campaigns that are, clicky, but you really have to focus on content or, and, and campaigns that are both clicky and sticky. And by sticky, I mean engaging and lead to actions that, that you want your, your customer to take.
1: Well, Brad, I hope you have a good intellectual property attorney. You should be trademarking clicky, not uh, sticky. Uh, I love that. Um, so how should people be thinking about this?
2: Yeah. Look, I think, first of all, it's sort of natural uh, in the beginning, especially with early stage startups. A lot of startups are trying to prove to their investors or uh, just when they're getting started out that one can we scale. And so there seems to be you know, a lot of cases that there's a lot of focus on scale um, and maybe at the expense of engagement and the expense of, of conversions, at least initially. Um, so that's why some of these sort of vanity metrics, you know, number of unique users per month to the website or number of fans or followers on social media all those things in my opinion take on too much importance because they're just an easy way for people to explain um, you know if there's growth there it's easy to explain that that you know that, that the company is scaling but if you look under the hood a little bit you know really um, those numbers aren't they, they matter to a degree, but they're not nearly as important as the quality of the customers you're getting. And more importantly, what happens when those customers, once those customers land on your website or go to your social media channel, are they interacting and commenting? Are they going to your website and providing you with a lead or, or you know, converting to a paying customer? Um, you know, that's really what 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 matters. Those are the key health metrics that people really need to be focused on. And look, in an ideal world, you want to be able to scale, but it has to be scaling quality customers. Um, if you're just scaling customers overall and they're not quality, they're not engaging, um, then you're 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 really there's very little value.
1: But I'm wondering if you're a company that used to be focused more on the vanity side, and you understand what it is that you're talking about, make that transition. What kind of benefits, you know, be they quantitative or qualitative, can a company expect by shifting that mindset?
2: Yeah, I mean, really, it it all boils down to conversions and and what a conversion is for one company is different than it is for another company. So for one company, maybe they just are trying to get leads and they're trying to get someone to fill out a form so their sales team can get in touch with them. In other cases, I work with a lot of companies in the subscription space um, that are direct to consumer. So a conversion for them is typically someone starting a free trial or signing up for a membership. Um, and look, ultimately, those are the metrics that are going to lead to increased revenue. Um, and, uh, and and the way you're going to scale is you have to be able to convert. Uh, you know uh, your conversion rates need to be competitive. So if you're driving a ton of traffic but they're not converting, then you're just getting a ton of traffic and you're not getting any closer to your end goal. Right? You're getting So you need to get people into the funnel, um you need content that's going to engage them and get them, you know, deeper into the funnel and lead to the next logical step in the process so you can get them through the funnel. And only by doing that and only by improving those conversion rates will you be able to scale a company cost effectively, right? Because if you have really low conversion rates, lots of traffic and no conversions, you're spending money for the traffic, but you're not, you're not going to get the return. So ultimately, um, the only way to scale you know, is to have uh, you know, that con- those conversion rates, get those up so that you can get your customer acquisition costs into a range that works for your p and
1: you know, one of the things, Brad, that I always think about is four key drivers of true business value, revenue, cost risk and my assets in terms of efficiency capability and there's a tan an intangible part of your assets and particularly around your intellectual property and your brand it seems like if you do this right you can expect benefits clearly on the revenue side Um, clearly you're managing the cost of customer acquisition when you do this right Um, from a risk point of view particularly if you're funded uh, i think any entrepreneur understands the risk of getting out of alignment with their investor and clearly you're building your brand and you're building a portfolio marketing portfolio which certainly hits on the asset side so i can really see how this can move the needle for any of the businesses that you're talking about so given how compelling the case is what should a customer or client do who has this challenge? What are the practical steps to realize the benefits you're talking about?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's, it's typically uh, a process. And um, you know, most people aren't gonna get uh, it right, right out of the gate. There's gonna be a lot of experimenting. Um, and that's really part of the process. Um, I always say in marketing, it's okay to fail as long as you fail quickly and you can pivot and you learn from your mistakes. So, really, the recipe for success is to be nimble and agile and, and open to experiment so that you can relentlessly, relentlessly test and optimize different types of campaigns, different types of content, different headlines, different calls to action, all those things. You know, you A-B test these things, and over time you're going to learn: okay, what types of images or content resonates. Again, what type of content maybe attracts people to your site, but doesn't convert. But then there may be content that maybe doesn't attract people to your site or have a, has a lower click-through rate, but it has a higher conversion rate. And you know, look, in a perfect world, you have a content that has a high you know, click-through rate and a high conversion rate, but it doesn't always work that way. So it just takes time to uh, experiment with all those different types of content and different types of, of, of uh, images and taglines and calls to action. Uh, different channels, different marketing channels, whether you're advertising on LinkedIn or Facebook or retargeting um, and over time, you you know, you're able to uh, optimize, you see what channels are working and what type of you know, content is working and you start shifting your dollars to the stuff that's working and, and you know, retreating on this, the stuff that's not working.
1: And if you think about your typical well-established company, one of the challenges for someone like you who's serving in the CMO role, driving the program that you're talking about, is making sure that people's expectations are set correctly and making sure that they're in alignment. Now, you also, in addition to dealing with that, are often working with companies that have outside investors who have a real interest in how rapidly they're scaling, thinking about their exit. What do you find are the challenges of keeping not just the rest of the management team in alignment, but also dealing with third-party investors whose objectives don't always align with what management is looking at?
2: Yeah, no, and that's a good question. And I've definitely been at companies where there hasn't been total alignment um, or sometimes even as a, as a CMO or a fractional CMO, I'm not always privy to all the details that the investors, what the ultimate goal is, right? Um so so you know, really look in, in an ideal world, uh you do get that alignment, right? You 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 know everyone understands there's agreed upon goals, we wanna get X number of subscribers, we wanna have X number of conversions or you know, whatever, the whatever, what is this, what, what defines success, you know? So if you can get alignment on what equals success, um, you know, typically the way I approach it is where are we now, where do we want to be? And then the marketing plan is how are we going to get there? Um, so, but you know, there are times when investors, as I said, will uh, push for some of those vanity metrics and then that has to be a conversation. Um, you know, I think, like I said, initially I, I, I see the value in, in being able to prove to your investors that you can scale, but I think it's important that you're able to quickly pivot from just quantity to also to quality and ultimately that's going to be in their best interest as well. And so, you know, obviously, um, it, it's a conversation If few of investors that understand that and, and most will, um, but sometimes it is a process uh, and um, I have been at companies where, quite frankly, uh, we focused probably on the vanity metrics for a little bit too long before we were able to convince the investors that that wasn't the right thing to focus on. Or even sometimes the management team was was the stumbling block where they felt, you know, hey, if we just show investors we can scale, we're going to be able to raise more money. Um, maybe that's true for 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 a time being, but ultimately the health of the company, the conversions, the the, the profitability, all those things will eventually catch up with. So um, that's, that's a really short-term thinking. So you have to really get management and investors hopefully have a long-term perspective.
1: You know, the journey is only worthwhile if you're interested in getting to an agreed destination, right? And if you can't never make it to a destination, you got to question the journey that you're on.
2: If you can't get alignment on the destination, then, you know, obviously that's a, that's a challenge. But, you know, look, you, there, there's always, there's no perfect situations and you do what you can and you try to, you know, as an advisor or as a, a consultant or, you know, a fractional CMO, um, I can make recommendations, but ultimately, um, you know, the companies or the investors, sometimes, you know, they're the ones who make the decisions so you just have to be comfortable with, you know, sometimes they'll take your advice and sometimes uh, people won't.
1: And I, I think the last thing I have on on this subject, you talked about a process, you've talked about testing and continuously learning and improving. What do you find typically is, the time frame that people should have in their minds before you say we have a reproducible process that we can bank on that if we put X dollars into it, we're going to get a certain level of return.
2: Yeah. That's also a good question. Um, you know, it, it varies, but typically um, it doesn't take very long. Typically. I mean, if you you'll find out pretty quickly, if you start scaling campaigns, whether you know there's a product market fit, whether whether the, the product or service you have is resonating and you have good conversion rates. Um, you know I'm working with one startup now in the video streaming space and fortunately for them you know they really have a high you know a very defined audience they're very um, you know, they're, they're a niche OTT service that's uh, really got their own, you know, their own niche uh, that they're focused on that really differentiates them from the competition. And they're getting really strong conversion rates um, and having a lot of success. So we are now ramping up budgets. But I've worked for other startups uh, where honestly, you know, for for a number of reasons, their conversion rates were really low and nothing was working. And so then it was really going back, taking a step back and saying, okay, do we need to rethink The product? Do we need you know? Do we need to rethink the way we're presenting the product and the website? And so that that became a lot more of a long term project. We knew what was currently out there wasn't working, and we had to kind of restart uh, and and rebuild the website to try to improve everything. And so if you have to, you know, if you're in that kind of situation, this would take months. If you're in a situation where uh, your your product is immediately resonating. Um, it can be a matter of weeks until you can start, um, you know, scaling and, and seeing, seeing that success.
1: Well, uh, Just real quick, you mentioned OTT. I'm not sure everyone understands what an OTT company is. Can you just quick explanation?
2: It's an acronym which is doesn't make a lot of sense for over the top. It really just means uh, internet uh, entertainment or, you know, video streaming services like Netflix. Uh, it's, a, it's probably the best example of, a, of an OTT service. So, compared to, you know, traditional TV um, or or cable.
1: Excellent. Thank you, Brad. Well, I think that was really insightful. And I think you really hit on an issue that is such an easy trap to fall into, which are these vanity metrics, because in the short term, they make us feel better about what we're doing. They make us feel good. Uh, The problem is they don't lead to the results that we're after and having that discipline to set the right objectives, because if you have the wrong objectives, you're going to do the wrong things to achieve those that aren't going to align with what you need to. And it's pretty clear to me, you bring a lot of wealth and expertise to the table. So let me find out a little bit more about you. So from a professional standpoint, uh, we talked about how you're fractional CMO and how you work with small mid-market companies, lots of startup, lots of investor-backed companies. What are the types of issues that they're typically bringing you in to address?
2: Yeah, I I mean, in in most cases, I'm working, as you said, with with startups and early-stage companies. And a typical situation is actually a a startup that recently was funded um, and is now uh, has capital and is ready to scale. And um, you know, as I said, there's typically also a lot of pressure to scale as quickly as possible. Um, and you know, and one of the problems that I see is that you know you, you don't want to take shortcuts, right? So I talked about you know you know clicky not sticky, but the other thing is just you know sometimes uh, a company uh, gets funding, um, but they really haven't maybe proven that there's a product market fit yet, or that their brand positioning. Uh, and value prop is really clear and, and has been fully articulated. So, you know, to me, I always want to before I dive in and start, you know, trying to scale, you know, customer acquisition. You want to really make sure that you know there's this product market fit that you have really clear and distinct uh, brand positioning, and you really are really clear about what your value prop and key messaging is. Um, and 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 then and then um, it gets then you get into developing all the marketing materials through that lens and and then to developing your ad creative and running starting to do campaigns to to try to drive volume, to drive customers and you know and, and that process, that endless process of, of testing and, and and optimizing, right?
1: You're a fractional CMO. I don't think everybody understands what a fractional executive is, let alone a fractional CMO. Could you just sort of do a little compare and contrast that? with someone who would hang a shingle and just say, Hey, I'm a marketing consultant. I am not a fractional CMO. What's the difference between those two?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, it's a fractional space, as you know, is not just for CMOs, but for CFOs and it's, it's, it's a growing area. Um, and I think really, you know, the distinction in my mind is, look, I used to be, I've worked for companies on a full-time basis. Uh, in the past, and, and some, some bigger companies like Microsoft and, and Disney in the past, um, whereas you know new companies starting out, uh, you know sometimes they can't afford to hire a full time person like myself, but they have a need, and so the idea of you know a shared resource, uh, you know with that, that I can share my time with other companies and they can get you know a fractional or or a part of my time, you know that they, that works for their budget. Um, that's really, I think, you know, the distinction, um, and I do think it's 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 something that um, I think makes a lot of sense for for startups, uh, and it, it really gives companies the flexibility to you know to to hire people that they may not otherwise afford in in, in this capacity. Um, and so I think it's I think it's a model that's here to stay. Um, and I also would say that the fractional CMO. Um, And the fractional space in general with COVID, I think also I saw, you know, I I think it increased. um, You know, companies, when we were going through COVID, there was a lot of uncertainty in the market, especially for certain businesses more than others. But whenever you have uncertainty, you know, hiring a a full-time, you know, executive is is a big decision and somewhat of a risk. Um, So this is a chance for companies to, you know, reduce that risk um, in in times of uncertainty.
1: Yeah, I would just add to that. I think when I think about a marketing consultant, there's someone with very deep and defined expertise. They come in on a project basis. There's a start, there's an end, and there's a particular problem that they're being asked to address or solve. Where a fractional CMO is more like a member of your executive team. They're just not full time. But as a member of the executive team, not only do you have to have domain expertise in marketing, but you got to now deal with all the personnel dynamics of at some point probably starting to build out a marketing team underneath you how you relate to other executives participation in the growth strategy so to me it's really different between a a someone coming in to solve a particular well-defined problem versus someone who you're bringing in as a member of your team just not on a full-time basis and i agree with you definitely here to stay last question on you and i always find this the most interesting is uh, everyone, and I encourage people, look you up on LinkedIn and uh, connect with you there. You'll see your depth of experience and expertise that you have. But of course, LinkedIn can't tell the story of why you've done what you've done. So, what are the seminal things in your life, professional perhaps personal, that have caused you to end up where you are now?
2: Yeah, you know, it's a it's a good question. Um, you know, I was always, uh, in college, I took an interest in the social sciences and I was actually a psychology major and I always had an interest in understanding human behavior. You know, what makes people tick? Why do people, why are people, you know, what shapes your personalities? And, um, and, you know, so being a psychology major and having that interest in in human behavior led me to marketing. Um, you know, it's, and that's actually kind of common. I, a lot of uh, marketing people have psychology backgrounds because marketing fundamentally is understanding you know, human behavior or consumer behavior. And then also brands, ideally, you want to move beyond just acquiring customers, right? But ultimately, it's about building that emotional connection with, with your customers uh, and, and building loyalty and advocacy, uh, which again is really into the, psycho- the psych, the psychological part of, of 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 advertising and marketing. So that's how I, um, you know, ended up uh, get- getting into marketing. And my first job out of college was at a pretty big uh, advertising agency in New York, where I'm originally from, called Grey Advertising. And just by luck, uh, honestly, I was assigned to some entertainment accounts. So I was on ABC Television and Warner Brothers uh, Motion Pictures. Uh, and that you know, uh, so and and that really you know was exciting and that was fun. And so I've been fortunate that that's, that I got exposed to entertainment accounts early on, um, and that's really you know primarily what my my focus has gone from from TV and movies to now video streaming and music uh, licensing and music streaming. So and that's also really you know the other thing that um, has led led to me led to me being where I am now is. Um, evolving with the times. You know, so when I first started out at cray Advertising, it was there was no internet. <laughs> I'm that old. Um, you know, it was about TV, uh, it was about print advertising, um, you know, traditional media. Um, but you know, the, the 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 industries that I was uh, ended up gravitating towards I ended up doing video games and video streaming and music as everyone knows, the entertainment industry evolved to digital pretty quickly, right? You know, you don't go to the record store anymore. You know, you're streaming on Spotify or you're you're streaming on Netflix and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, Um, you're playing games online. Um, So that forced me really to stay current. I had to stay current and relevant and really uh, learn about all the digital technologies and performance marketing and customer acquisition, along with my traditional branding Experience that I had from my earlier in my career, so you know I think it's a combination of you know always wanting to to learn because I knew if I didn't evolve you can you become extinct right um, um, and having the, the the good fortune of being exposed to entertainment and media uh, at an early at an early point in my career which allowed me to you know continue to uh, work with, with, with a lot of other companies in in that overall space.
1: You you give me inspiration. Uh, because I have a 21-year-old daughter, just graduated college. She just moved to LA this past uh, uh, this past weekend, and she's marketing, and she's working with an agency that has Warner Brothers as an account, and she's helping to market a future movie release. So may her career be as successful as yours, but at least there's hope. And sometimes in life, hope is what gets us through. You're, uh, I think, a, a person well worth getting to know for people that are in the space that you serve. What's the best way for people to reach out to you?
2: Yeah, no email. And I also have a a calendar link. So either one of those is fine. Um, And and phone calls are are, are welcome as well.
1: Okay, so we'll put those in the the show notes and what have you to make it uh, easy for people. And and Brad, to uh, sort of get to the wrap up here, I am going to put you on the spot uh, because I sort of have this thing that when I have a guest on the podcast, I want them to be able to give something to our listeners. So, Brad, no pressure. What can you do for our listeners who reach out to you?
2: Sure. Um, So I've written some white papers on the video streaming space or as the OTT space, uh, as we've now defined it for for the audience. And so I'm happy to provide one of those white papers uh, as a gift for people who reach out.
1: Let me thank you, Brad, for coming on. I can tell you that the issues that Brad works in and, and talked about today are critical issues for any business that is looking to scale and ultimately become financially viable and successful. Doing it right versus doing it wrong. There's a world of difference, but it starts with the very simple thing of, what are you really trying to achieve? So. I can tell you that the return on investment of reaching out to Brad, talking with him will be astronomical. Let me encourage everybody to do that. Brad, thank you so much for being on.
2: Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure.
0: Are you wondering how much longer you have to grind and chase for every lead conversation and client? Would you like clients to knock on your door so you no longer have to pitch, follow up, and spam decision makers? Well, Centricity's Category 1 program uses a proven five-step process that will help you get in front of the decision-makers you need by spending less time doing all the things you hate. It's not cold calling, cold email, cold outreach on LinkedIn or any other social media, or even spending money on ads, but it does have a 35 times higher ROI than any of those things leveraging your expertise and insights at your prospects and network value. The best part, even though you'll see results in 90 days, you get to work with the Centricity team for an entire year to make sure you have all the pieces in place and working so you can start having freedom of time and a life outside of your business. So email time at centricityb2b.com to schedule an 18-minute call to learn more.